guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, remember, you can follow Zach's main event progress. Uh, he's playing day 2A right now, actually. And he still has chips, not quite as many as maybe he would hope. But fingers crossed. You can follow him at our Snapchat, Just Hands Poker, or on Twitter, at Just Hands Poker. Thank you guys for tuning in, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, Zach. Hey, Jack. How you doing, man? I just woke up, having not been able to get to sleep that early last night, uh, because I was pretty excited about what's going on tomorrow. What's going on tomorrow? You uh, hitting Red Rock or something like that? No, I'm playing the motherfucking main event, man. Oh, dude. Nice. And not, not just me. Friend of the show, previous guest, Cleveland grinder extraordinaire, <laughs> Dave Mills is here in Vegas, also playing his first main event. How are you doing today, man? Good. Good. Excited. Yeah. So, Dave, I hear you have a cash hand for us. Uh, yeah. Um, this was uh, 2-5 at Jack Casino in Cleveland. It's probably two weeks ago, so I, I won't have all the details, but um, I'm uh, in the big blind. I've got about 800, and um, I, I haven't been at the table too long. It's maybe been an hour, um, yeah, so I don't have a ton of reads. I haven't I think I've been slightly car dead, so I probably perceived as somewhat tight. I don't limp into many pots and things like that. Um, I do have like a Cleveland Browns baseball hat on, my usual uh, uniform, um, to the extent that affects the perceptions. Uh, so basically in this hand, um, folks to this guy in the cutoff who's maybe got like 1,500. I haven't seen him before, um, but he's... Uh, Probably like 40 years old, glasses, baseball cap, kind of scraggly hair. Um, but he's got that sort of like upright, sort of pro-ish posture, if you know what I mean. Like he's sitting upright and he's got his chip stack like real close to his chest, kind of that. Um, I'm a regular and I'm guarding my chips and uh, I know what I'm doing. Look for whatever that's worth. He opens to 20. Real quick uh, about this villain is... uh yeah. Or what did you say what time it was? Is this in any sort of proximity to an Indians game before or after? Uh, no, it's it's probably I can't recall if it was proximity to a game, but I mean, um, it was this is probably like 8 p.m. Uh, okay, so week, weeknight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And uh, um, anyway, so. I haven't seen him be too active yet, so I don't have many reads on him, but other than his look and um, all I can figure is he's at least maybe positionally aware of that type of thing, like maybe wider late position. You know, I haven't seen him limp into pots or anything like that. I haven't seen any signs of him being kind of like bad, but I haven't seen much. Uh, anyway, um, it gets to the button who is uh probably like a 30 year old guy with like what I would say almost like kind of a young Spike Lee look like baseball cap and those sort of Spike Lee glasses um, has, I think he's been limping a little. Um, and again, I've only been there an hour, but I recall him 
betting one um, open-ended draw he had and then getting there on the river and like making a pretty big river bet that was called where he got there. Seems like he's been running pretty good. Um, I don't have too many reads, but like I said, I seem to recall that he maybe had limped in a couple pots. And he covers them? No, he, um, this particular guy in the button has about 600. Okay. Uh, so, uh, it comes to the small blind again, I'm in the big blind, small blind is on my right. And I can't remember exactly, let's just say he's not really in the hand, but let's just say it's a regular, um, late twenties player who calls. Uh, so it comes to me, I'm in the big blind, um, and I look down at King Queen offsuit and, um, so I'm trying to figure out what to do. I decide to uh, make it 120. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's the best play there or not, but, um, you know, I thought the opening guy may be somewhat wide opening, the kind of uh, stack garter, scraggly hair guy. And I thought King Queen offsuit, you know, I might be able to take it down with my image and, um, you know, it seems like a decent hand to do that with, but, uh, you know, not certain it's the best play. I think my image, I look capable of squeezing, uh, mm-hmm. with, in that moment. So I don't know if you guys want to stop there. Yeah. How, how many people were sitting down at this moment again? I think we were at full table, full table. Yeah. So, you know, the, basically the shorter we are, the more I like attacking, you know, attacking that raise, um, Shorter handed, you mean? Yeah, uh-huh. because then, you know, if this player has, you know, worse kings, worse queens, or just worse hands that they can't defend against a three bet, uh, but against, a, you know, an early position raiser. Well, he's not early position. Oh, he wasn't. He early. was um, cut off. Oh, sorry. I I misheard that. Well, I I, I really like this then. I think this, okay. is, this is solid. You got dead money. You got a guy who's probably opening really wide. Uh well done. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was sort of I was, guessing if he was opening wide, but it seemed like he fit the type that could be. And I felt like I'm ready to, you know, play a hand here with uh, mm-hmm. King Queen in this in this way. I would I would probably flat. So you said it was an open to 20 and the button called? Correct. And small blind called. But I, I we're just assuming small blind is kind of like a late 20s regular. I can't quite remember who it was. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, I, I like raising. I didn't realize the small blind had called. I missed that. Uh, <laughs> Zach and I are paying great attention to this. Right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, finished, I finished my shake now, so we're all <laughs> all focused on Dave now. That's all right. Um, uh, Jack, it changes for you if the small blind that didn't call just in terms of the dead money or what? Yeah, we have slightly – we have more incentive to just take it down now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think King Queen is gonna fl- King Queen is gonna flop a lot of like top pair strong kicker hands, and mm-hmm. I think those have more value in a three way pot than a four way pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the small blind calling makes I think that's gonna be a pocket pair a lot, mm-hmm. and if we can get that to fold, I think that's really great. I didn't like it before, since I think a lot of what you accomplish is folding at dominated hands. I don't think the preflop raiser is ever folding ace-king or ace-queen and 
he'll either call or three bet, neither of which is a good situation for you. Obviously, his range is uncapped, so we we could be getting four bet a good amount here. Not, I think, so much, but I, I wouldn't. We don't really want to get four bet with his hand. Uh, it's got decent equity against some of the hands that might four bet for value, like jacks, tens might four bet facing a squeeze or something that's perceived as a squeeze, and those are hands we'd like to see a flop against. So I think just the extra dead money and the fact that we're going to feel less comfortable about a one-pair hand in a four-way pot makes me like three-betting more here than, than flatting. I also think it's relevant that, you know, this is seems like a, a solid villain in the cutoff. Like, kind of the worst player this the, the guy in the cutoff is, the more I like flatting, because mm-hmm. the more we're going to be able to realize our equity with our top pair-like hands. But, you know, as Jack's saying, in a four-way pot, one, you know, making one pair just isn't always as going to be as good. And then sometimes we make that pair and get blown off the hand based on, you know, the guy in the button who, you know, we've seen is capable of at least bluffing a straight drop before. And so, yeah, the, the one thing I would say is I would probably size a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Not a ton lower, but probably like 100, 105. And I, I just can't think about that many hands that are going to, you know, fold to 120, but, you know, call kind of 100 or call 105. Uh, if it was really deep, I would expect, you know, a guy like this in the cutoff, like if you were both like 1,200 deep and the button had you guys covered and the button was the type of player who's always going to overcall, well, then I think the 120 sizing like makes a lot of sense. But here, you're going to be wanting to three-bet this guy pretty aggressively when he opens up in the cutoff with this dead money. So, you know, we want to be a little little bit balanced and basically just be able to risk less so we can three bet with a wider range of both value bets and bluffs. In other um, words, uh, oh, I was just going to no, go ahead first because I'm going to eventually disagree, but go ahead. <laughs> but part of what you're saying then Zach is that people will perceive any bet of like a hundred or 105 as basically equivalent to 120 mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what they're going to do. Yes. So don't don't need to risk the extra twenty bucks. Yeah. Okay. I I actually don't agree. I do think the difference between a hundred and five and a hundred and twenty is maybe not super likely to have an effect, but I think the difference between one hundred five and one thirty five is likely to have a pretty desirable effect. Like I think we really want hands like fours through eights to not want to call. Those are hands that have good equity against us and you know getting them to fold would be a really excellent outcome and i think my standard sizing three betting out of position would be 4x so with the call i guess 120 is a bad standard sorry i had in my head that 140 would be a standard i like 120 i would consider making it even a little bit bigger but i wouldn't make it smaller so, so you really, you really think that pocket eights is gonna like call most of the time for like a hundred five and and fold for one twenty? I mean, I don't think like we could ever be that confident that like a, a hand would fold to one hundred five and not fold to one twenty. But I do <laughs> think like the size matters. It's not like eighty is the same as one hundred forty. So where is where's the cutoff? We don't know. But I think that erring on the smaller side doesn't make sense in this situation. Well, we're, I mean, th- this is a player, though. This isn't just like a random, you know, 
amateur player. This is a player that's like going to think like, oh, this guy, there's like dead money and this guy looks like he's capable of squeezing. Like this is going to be a scenario that should happen like relatively often, like throughout the session. Okay. So basically when we're risking more money, it makes it so theoretically we should be three betting less, right? Yes. Theoretically. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously like, you know, exploitatively, like, you can always kind of do whatever you want, but I, I think against a guy like this, whom you want to be three betting out of position and in position, if they're going to be opening a wide range at like a nine-handed no limit table, you want to risk less people to do that with the wider range, and that specifically in the moment in this scenario, that you know a hundred five is going to fold out, you know, basically the same amount of hands as one twenty. Uh, yeah, I would feel like you know, 85 or 90 wouldn't be very good, but I feel like that 100, 105 is, yeah, I, I just, well, I just can't, I can't imagine a big difference between that and 120. It might, no, I'm not saying a big difference, but some difference that, and it, I think it's a difference that is desirable for us. I think to say that in theory, I, I think you're sort of selectively using the theory here. You're saying in theory, we should be three betting less with a larger sizing but in theory, also, people should be calling less to a larger sizing. And so to say that, like, the theory supports, you know, if we want to be three to be more, three bet smaller, but the theory goes out the window when we're considering people's calling ranges doesn't totally make sense to me. So I'm just thinking in terms of what's going to be most practical. And I just think this is not a spot where I want to size down for my standard sizing. I can't think of any really good reason to size down. I've, this is a hand where I would like to leverage as much fold equity as possible without, I guess, overextending ourselves. So I would personally like to make it at least the standard sizing of 120, or at least my standard sizing of 120. Okay. But that's an, uh, that's enough on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> let's hear the thought, Dave. Or okay. let's hear what happened. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So I assume no one, I assume everyone just didn't fold. Or... Everyone <laughs> folded, and uh, I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I... In my mind, I thought this has like quite a good chance of everyone folding unless our opener wakes up with something pretty big and I'm going to hear about it. So the um, the opening guy, kind of scraggly hair, you know, pro stance, upright guy folds. Um, it gets to uh, the baseball cap, Spike Lee glasses guy on the button who has like 600. And he kind of tanks. And then he says uh, something like, well, I got to see a flop, you you know, that sort of phrase. And he puts out the um, extra 100. Um, Small blind folds pretty quickly. So now uh, we're heads up. Again, this guy um, started with about 600. Mm -hmm. Um, And... The pot now is what two eighty? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Two eighty. I'll just I'll just add that it sounds like this Spike Lee guy might have folded to one thirty-five. You know, he was really on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew you were going to something like that. You know, yeah. you know. So what, how are you how are you ranging him? Well, that's what's interesting about this yeah. pot. That's part of the reason I brought it up because I feel like this happens with some frequency where you get. It's kind of like the. Um, the call call action preflop, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like somebody calls a bet, and then there's a huge squeeze or three bet, and then the, and then some random person in the middle calls again. Yeah. And they're like, 
maybe somewhat short. It just it sort of makes no sense, but it happens with some frequency. And so yeah. it's kind of like, what do you do with these people? What sort of range are they playing when they just call these sort of huge bets preflop after not having been a raiser? Um, so I'm I'm like, okay, what is one of my first thoughts is like kind of kind of like decent pocket pairs I think will do this um yeah. you know kind of like sevens eights nines people don't know what to do maybe tens um uh suited broadway maybe it, it depends on the player like you know if they're real loosey goosey then they can have almost like any suited connector or suited ace I don't know if this guy's that loose but yeah the thing about I got to see a flop sometimes I don't know if that fits that much with someone with like, maybe it does fit with like pocket sevens, pocket eights, but I feel like it's a little bit more like, I want to see if I like smash yeah. my suited hand. I don't know. Yeah. I, feel, I, I, I get that. That makes yeah. sense. I, th- I think that, you know, so this player has been running good and only has 600. So this player is like not a regular two, five player bought in relatively short. Um, you know, I don't think we could take Jacks and Ace King out of their range. I was going to say agree. that too. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be yeah. shocked to see Ace King here. Yeah, in fact, uh, I would. I would say like Ace King, Ace Queen. I'm going to weight those a little bit heavier. Yeah. Um, probably have se- Yeah, sevens through Jacks in their range. Yeah. And then like you know some, you know, not fully weighted, not all combo frequency of like King Queen suited, King Jack suited, right. Ace Jack suited. Right. Yeah. I've seen this call call line. I feel like I've seen a lot in the last couple of months and it, I've seen people wake up with like eight eights there because they don't, there's like my hand's too good. I have to call yeah. or ace king because they don't know what to do with ace king. So they're yeah. just calling, calling, calling uh, ace queen. So I think, I think we're all sort of in agreement. I mean, I didn't perceive this guy as like super loose, but who knows once he's calling like 120 just with the, I got to see a flop quote. I think- I do think we can rule out like the queen ten offsuits. Yeah, that kind I think of stuff. so. Yeah, I think so. I think that the quote struck me as like relatively honest, you know. But who knows? Yeah, generally people are very honest at the yeah. poker table. Yeah, yeah. So it's an especially quote. With, like such an ambiguous statement. Yeah, <laughs> it right, carries right, some right. information, but it's not like I have I guess... sevens. I'm gonna. Call. Yeah, that I, I, don't, I don't know if I would trust that. I'd I'd be interested if you could with that sort of quote if you could actually like weight the pocket pairs less with that quote. That's what I'm. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. I think you could weight like jacks less. Yeah. Yeah. So and I don't. What about Ace King? Does someone say that with Ace King? I, don't, I feel like they don't say that as much. I feel like they'll say it with Ace King. I think someone someone who who would <laughs> like flat Ace King on the button and then think about it for a while would then. If that if those conditions were already true, which is like narrowing down right. the Ace King possibility in the first place, but if those things were already true, I don't think the statement like lessens it that much more, you know. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, all right. So that sets up uh, the flop. Um, again, we said I think it's about two eighty in the pot. Um, Relatively low SBR. Yeah. Now. So yeah, four four eighty behind in the effective yeah. stacks. Yeah. Which is part of why I think is a little bit interesting because this. This also comes up, I think, with some frequency. Anyway, the flop is um, Jack, Nine, Five, Rainbow. Uh, I, I'm first to act, and um, do you want to, do you want me to tell you what I do, and then we'll talk about it? 
Uh, or you want, or just, I mean, before you even give the action, just tell me what you're thinking about here. And, so, and... well, my first thought, just the fact that he did that weird call call line, um, you know, I think that a big part of my mentality, honestly, maybe this is not correct, but a big part of my mentality is in this spot with my image and, and that sort of 120 profile bet, like I am likely betting a ton of flops, uh, is my mentality. Um, a ton of flops where I feel like, you know, he did this, I got to see a flop thing. And uh, unless he like smashes it, he's just going to, you know, kind of uh, say shit and muck. And so if I have some equity, I'm, I'm likely betting, um, in this particular spot, you know, I, I've got, it's Jack nine five. So I have a gutter ball and I have pr- maybe two overs. And, um, so I end up betting out, um, with that sort of thought process. Um, and especially with, without an ACE in my hand, like, I feel like I have like minimal to no showdown value. So, um, yeah, my default mentality without being too scientific is like, I'm betting a lot of flops here. Um, now if I hit a King, um, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with it. I'd have to think about maybe the type of texture of the flop with a King. I mean, I may want to actually check that and see what he does. Cause now I think I might be like smashing a lot of his range and I don't want him to fold. So in any event, I bet, um, with my two over cards, my gutter ball, I bet, uh, like 150 into 280. Um, and curious what you guys think. It's, it feels pretty standard, but I, I don't think this size is going to be very effective because I think this flop just kind of like smashes his range, but not in like the, He's got a bunch of nutted hands, but more in the sense that, like, I think he's got a lot of hands that he's going to want to continue with, and we don't want him to continue. Right. You think you think tens and eights continue for one fifty here? I think tens do. Mm-hmm. Also, like, if we think that there's going to be tens and eights, then nines and jacks become, you know, if we're waiting down. So here's what I'm thinking, like, you know. If we think this is a lot of suited broadways, then I think we're we're seeing some like queen queen jack, uh, other king queen, like jack ten suited, ten nine suited, eight nine suited. I think all I of those. I mean, are you really putting that into range? Like when we discussed preflop, we didn't really talk about that. I I think there's like a small percentage chance he has maybe a combo or two of those hands, but I think it's pretty unlikely. Uh. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I think it's very possible. It's interesting because he's still got all the ace, king, ace, queen we talked about, you know. So it it, it does hit his range, uh, like just as you described, Jack, where he's going to have like a Broadway jack or like tens or eights. And I think he's very likely to call with those, like putting me on ace, king. You know, everyone puts you on ace, king in this spot, that type of thing. But so it's kind of a weird uh, calculus where... I mean, I think I can get all kinds of those big aces to fold. Yeah. Uh, so I I, th- I think in this spot, um, I like actually betting smaller, um, and then kind of like gauging the speed in which this player calls. And yeah, I think I think like a hundred is going to fold out all of the like ace x hands, um, and we're just not going to try to get eights or tens to fold. I think, you know, jacks and nines are completely in his range. Again, we could just count a few combos because of the pre-flop mm-hmm. kind of verbal tell. 
Uh, and then, you know, there's some small percentage of the time he also has those pseudo connectors that, you know, where this really smashes his range where he has, you know, pairs. So I don't think we're ever going to get those hands to fold. So I think I like betting 100, evaluating, and potentially shoving the turn, but likely likely giving up. Yeah, I think I like either betting smaller, like Zach's advocating, or just shoving. Because mm-hmm. if we can get him to, like, fold a jack here, then we're really destroying him with a shove. Right. Uh, and I, I don't think that's out of the question. And no, we, yeah, this guy bought, bought in short. Yeah. He's run it up, like... Yep. Gets into a marginal spot. He like, like already he basically said like I'm maybe making a mistake here, but I've got to see this flop. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, <laughs> even if you flop top pair, like if he's got queen jack here and you just rip it, like, right? God, how happy is he going to be to like put in five hundred bucks? I don't. I mean, I think that's what I would do. Yeah. Especially since well, like I think, I mean, other, other than jacks and nines, you know, you're already fucked. But like, yeah. You you have pretty good equity against mm-hmm. the calling range anyway. I mean, not that like right. obviously we're banking on a lot of fold equity when we make that kind of bet, but you do possibly have two over cards or almost certainly one over card and a gut shot. Yep, I, I'm I'm sold. I mean, like I'd have to be there to kind of gauge the player type, but just based on the description, like it sounds like someone who like you know doesn't want to go out like this with one pair, you know? Well, it's interesting that both of you guys came up with this because like you said, Zach, the smaller sizing, what I'll I'll explain what happened, but I kind of got into this weird spot because he does call and I don't have that much left against his stack. So either I need to bet smaller, like you said, Zach, so that I can like evaluate. And then if I want to jam the turn, I have enough chips to like do something or like Jack said, I think I need to actually consider shoving the flop. I think both of those are going to be better than the 150, which he's oh, calling a lot with any piece. And then on the turn, he so, just committed even if he, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I can, should I go to the turn? Yeah. No? Okay, so this is exactly the spot we get into. I bet the 150. He calls. And now he's got, I think it was like 330 left. And but the pot, 600, yeah, in the pot. Pot is like 580 or 600. Yeah. And now, so I think this is like a very good hand for talking about thinking about breaking out your bet sizing and, yes. and what you're going to be left with. Because I thought betting the flop made a lot of sense in terms of just, all right, I got to see bet this. I have overcards, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. I'll do standard bet sizing. And then you leave yourself in a mess against this uh, stack. So anyway, he calls. Now I'm like, okay, is he ever folding? Mm-hmm. I still have this equity. Am I just giving up? I have no showdown value. So the turn comes kind of a brick, like let's say like a four of um, clubs and brings like backdoor clubs, which is largely irrelevant. And it's on me. And this is the bad spot I got into. I ship it. He basically go, you know, obviously I got a call, you know, so he calls and he has um, like queen jack of spades. So um, doesn't, doesn't shock us, I think, based on what we talked about in terms of ranges. But yeah. I think we've already almost answered why shipping the flop makes some sense, mm-hmm. or if if doing something different, bet small so that you can rip the turn, uh, or or bet small so you just like like if a brick comes out on the turn, I'm check folding or yeah, yeah. Hey, that, right. yeah. Get up. So yeah, um, you know, I think it's an interesting spot because it's like 
makes you realize you really have to think about that sizing when you get in that spot on the flop. Yeah, you always got to be thinking streets ahead. I mean, like yeah. even even pre-flop, you think about your sizing. It's like, okay, if I get called in one spot and two spots, what's what happens? Like, right. you know, right. and yeah, this matters a lot when you're like this is going to happen a lot. You know, if you're going to be three betting in these relatively shorter games, like yeah. you know, three three bet pots. That's you know, not like I'm not saying this about about you, but I'm saying like. A ton of people, even like really good players that I've like seen at the WSOP in five ten, I see like making weird bet sizing things and like what seem like errors to me uh, in these three bet pots because they're used to like the, these standard sizings based on board texture. But you know, mm-hmm. when the SPR like it's two three four and you're on the flop, yeah. like you have a lot more room to do yeah. stuff, and it kind of almost becomes more like a tournament hand where like. You know, you can start, you know, risking 25 to 40 percent of the pot and really leverage someone's stack, you know, and that like that calling then would kind of commit them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, typically like in, in these spots, like a general rule, like I either want to pick a sizing that like commits them like 100 percent or like adds one street. And that mm-hmm. kind of, you yeah. know, that conclusion on for this hand is that you bet like between 85 and 100 on the flop or you or you ship yeah yeah i think it's a good lesson for uh you know you put all these things together on the flop and you think all right i have like a good hand to bet here i can bet 50 to 75 percent pots standard bet blah 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 and then that's a mistake Mm -hmm. um i probably in hindsight i would have shipped it uh with this particular hand and this yeah this villain and if you find yourself getting to a spot like this on the turn like just check fold you know like yeah you know yeah it doesn't feel good. Like you, you have, you have, you know, quite possibly like one of the worst hands in your range in terms of showdown value. But you know, again, like yeah. when you're playing against opponents that are just never folding ever, basically on the turn, like it doesn't matter that you're at the bottom of your no. range. You just well, and down. I think that's also part of why it may indicate that shipping the flop is is the best route too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean I, I would not I would not be surprised to see Queen Jack fold the flop some percentage right. of the time, you know. Right. Um, I mean with the equity we have in that hand and, and Queen Jack's one of his best hands in that scenario. Exactly. Yeah. I mean eights yeah. and stuff he's gonna insta muck eights. Yep. So yeah. that's probably the right play. And I don't hate, hate, hate the turn jam. Like, I definitely think it might be wrong, but it's still, I, I think you're going to, like, get a little bit more out of a half-pot bet than you should, just because of the absolute sizing. So, I, I think it might be a mistake, but I don't think it's terrible. I do think if you had bet 100, then shoving on this turn would be terrible. I think if I if I make that smaller bet, then probably the only card I'm going to bluff rip it on is an ace yeah yeah king queen or 10 we could check or bet really small and yeah the interesting thing is i think there are a couple i'd probably rip it on a 10 there's a couple players out there who they just get so uh, they have a rough understanding of possible squeeze type spots and um i think that's just such a tendency to think okay this guy has some sort of ace-king type hand and it's going to barrel. And if I call once, I'll, I'll find out on the turn. And I think, I mean, maybe you need more information, but there are people who will like, they'll call that flop bet and then they'll be like, if he bets a turn, I know he actually has it. Yeah, 
I feel like that's not a guy who like buys him short at two five, runs it up to six hundred, and says that whole thing. You know what I mean? Like I, I definitely know the player type yeah. you're talking about, but yeah. I, I don't think based on the information we have, this guy's likely to be doing that. I I do think like the reason I don't hate the the turn jam here is because I think there's a reasonable chance hands like tens ten nine mm-hmm. suited play this way, and that makes like right. that makes up a decent also king queen, you know. And eights? Eights. I'm not sure. I'm not sure eights are calling the, the flop. The flop, yeah. I think they might. Uh, well, they, yeah. I think it would definitely so fold with eights. Like the, the possibility. Has, king, yeah. The possibility yeah. of eights definitely makes it nice. Or it makes it better because I think eights are definitely folding to that small bet. Even if maybe in theory he should defend those. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on what his range looks like. Anyway. Yeah, good spot. Very educational spot. Thank you for bringing it on. Seriously. Yeah, you're welcome. So, Dave, how have you been uh, preparing uh, for the main event? Well, um, in a lot of ways, I've been preparing sort of by not preparing too much. What I mean is trying to just, you know, I'm a recreational player. You know, uh, you've taught me a lot about the game, and I've never done the main event or anything like that. And I got a couple of people to invest in me and I'm just trying to go with the mentality of just trying to play like a good solid game that I know how to play and not freak out, you know, doing 10 hours of studying the night before on some aspect of tournament poker that I need to like sharpen up. I'm just trying to go in with a relaxed approach and, uh, you know, I'm confident from cash game skills that I can, if I get a good run of cards, I can do, you know, decently well. So I'm just trying to go in with a, a low pressure mentality. And I think a lot of people will be like maybe pretty hyped up, pretty nervous. And I'm sure I'll have a little bit of that feeling, but I'm trying to just approach it. Like just play solid poker. Like you're sitting deep at a cash game and just really observe your opponents and, and uh, put a premium on survival in spots that uh, you might otherwise take in cash. So Kind of a simple, more like Zen-like, just mm-hmm. sort of show up, uh, be relaxed and have fun, and then, you know, see where it all shakes out. Yeah, I think I think that's actually really smart. Strategy is really important. You've got your fundamentals down. Obviously, if you take a lot of time and put in a lot of study, it's, it's only going to help. But I think focusing on sort of a mental game edge and really considering that and trying to emphasize that in – in lieu of like serious, serious study time, can, assuming that you've put in that work to mental game, really zeroing in on that, I think will give you a big edge on the field, which is going to be full of a lot of amateurs who are in a very high pressure situation, as well as professionals who are probably maybe overextended or are under a lot of pressure just because they have so many investors. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think just focusing on that zen approach is really smart. Yeah. Uh, something um, a recent podcast guest was telling me, Andrew Moreno, was that you know there's a lot of professionals, some very good, some maybe not so good grinder types taking a shot at the main event that you know have been out here for the whole summer and are just kind of liable to spew in the main event. You know, mm. like it only mm. takes one hand. You know, yeah. so right. yeah, a lot of them are stuck, majorly stuck. The vast majority. <laughs> That's how tournament poker works. 
Well, the potential for tilt in the main event's got to be pretty huge too. Oh you yeah, know, like uh, one one sort of bad beat or your perception of a bad beat, even if you're deep, um, still yeah. may, may throw you off. And uh, I mean, I don't play many tournaments, so I, you know, I've done a little studying on like you know push folding and you know you know some basic uh, principles for like ten and twenty big blind stacks, so that I'm not just going in with like no clue on that stuff, but. Um, trying to keep it like to pretty simple principles on like the push fold and tournament survival and then otherwise rely on, you know, just good sort of awareness of player tendencies and, and trying to exploit at the right times. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, it's really just the stack depth of probably like 35 and less bigs where I feel a little bit less comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, when playing like the monster stack and binions, whenever I was over, you know, 40, 50 big lines, like, you know, I feel like just kind of understanding the situation, of the tournament and having a cash game background is like, you know, it, there's, there are adjustments to make, but they're very intuitive adjustments. Uh, but yeah, it, playing the 20 ish big blind stack is definitely very difficult. Uh, you know, for me personally, and if you don't have a serious background in tournaments and like knowing good spots to resteal and it's, mm-hmm. you know, like snapshot will tell you how to like shove whatever, 10, 12, 13, 15 big blinds. But you know, figuring out a good spot to re-steal based on X, Y, and Z. That's like, you know, I think that's where some of the good tournament professionals will shine. But that being said, you know, Kui Win and Cliff Josephy went into the final table with like 130 plus bigs. So if you're if you're crushing the main event the whole time, like you might just never get to that stack size. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> Stay above 100 big blinds for the whole main event. That's my plan. Yeah, and the structure, Jack, I don't know if you've looked at it. Dave and I have looked at it because we're fucking pumped. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's two hour, it's two hour levels. And at the end of day one, you know, if, if let's say you were able to late register in the last minute of the day, you would end the day with a hundred big blinds. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's really like a long cash session, man. That's kind of hard to say. At least day one. Yeah. At least that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Day one. I mean, obviously I'm stacks do get short. I've seen it on TV, but yeah, that's pretty sweet. That'll be awesome. I'm super pumped for you guys. Just Thanks. Like, imagine the sort of butterflies, like when you first sit down at the table, get your first hand, not going to be thinking straight at all. Uh, <laughs> take right. a couple orbits to settle in. I feel like it'll be a lot like, I don't know. I don't know what this was like for you, Dave, since I don't know if you were really like, playing poker before you were 21 but i know for for me and i think zach also like it was crazy like the sort of excitement and like emotional experience of like first playing live poker in like a casino even though i had played so much poker in my life already i think it'll be a lot like that playing the main event yeah i mean i you know i was I was pretty surprised. Like I've been trying to approach it real level headed. And then, you know, starting kind of like Wednesday, it was just like, Oh shit, it's coming. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I've only been playing for about four or five years. I didn't know what a big blind was five years ago. I don't think so. Uh, I remember just sitting down at a one, three game at the old horseshoe in Cleveland a couple years ago. And I picked up, I had played a couple times. I picked up aces, and I—I I mean, I just couldn't keep my heart in my chest. <laughs> and it's like one three, and I'm freaking out, and I'm trying not to show it. And it's just like you can't—you can't, 
you're trying to just stay calm. You feel kind of silly later, but uh, that's just. So I think the reality of the first couple times you play live in a casino, and then like the first time you play a WSOP event or anything. So, I'm sure, the main will be um, all that and more. I probably, uh, if I pick up king queen in the big blind, my first hand probably won't make it uh, 4x and then barrel, but uh, but I might. It'll be a lot deeper. Yeah, that means I can shove that turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Good luck. Zach, I'm counting on you for a nice ROI. Thank you. Well, you were able to buy a no markup, so I'm confident that I can uh, at least theoretically deliver on uh, having a, a 1% ROI. <laughs> I'm confident as well. Uh, yeah. I think even 2% might be attainable. Great. <laughs> All right. I'll be watching on the Snapchat at Just Hands Poker. Obviously, this will come out probably well. Let's have, let's have this come out this Tuesday. Let's push it in the queue. That's, that's day two. All right. Well, this will come yeah. out on day two. Head over to the leaderboard. You can see Zach and Dave's names up somewhere near the top. Go big or go home. 500 big blinds or bust. <laughs> follow them or at least Zach on Snapchat. Just Hands Poker is the handle. Lots of epic stack picks. I'm excited. All right.